All right, well, I'll assume that by now we are live on Twitch. I am Michael, and this is the RPG Academy Live, not Detention Edition. This is going to be part of our new programming schedule where we're still going to try to meet every Wednesday for a show, but it won't always be Detention. Tonight, it's actually going to be a recap of our recent trial of the game Masks, a new generation, which I have been mistakenly calling the next generation every time until just now. Uh, sorry, but apparently it's, I'm a Star Trek fan, so there, there you go. Uh, so for anyone who's not aware, uh, our trial episodes are where we do a one-shot of a game either new to us or maybe new. Uh, at least that's kind of what we're supposed to do. Does it always work out that way? Uh, and generally, we try to get uh, the one of, if not the designer of the game, to be our GM. And then we also, uh, if not that, we try to get someone who's like an expert. So we want a really good and you know example of that game in play. For this most recent game, we played Masks, which is a Power by the Apocalypse superhero game that really aims towards like angsty superheroes. So it's not just you know, pap zam boom the bad guy, but it's more like Justice. Uh, Team or yeah, Justice. What is it? Young Justice, um, where there's a lot of inner, you know, emotional turmoil. Uh, where our GM for that game was Brendan Conway, who was the designer of the game, or at least lead designer. And we had four players: myself, uh, Dakota, who is with the Shadow of the Cabal podcast, unfortunately cannot be here tonight. But the rest of us are together. So with that, I will welcome Caleb. Caleb, welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. How are you doing this fine evening? Uh, just hanging out in the snow. Yeah, it, there's no snow down here, but it is bitterly cold. Uh, and you actually may be able to hear the hum. Usually when we record, I turn off the air conditioner or the heater. I could not do that tonight because it is too freaking cold. So <laughs> I apologize in advance if there's a constant sort of uh, in the background. There's nothing I can do about that. I um, always just hear a constant hum when you're talking. <laughs> Well, that's just the defense mechanism that you developed over many years. I can't really blame you for that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then our other player that was with us was Taylor. Taylor, say hello to everyone. Hello. I am super pumped to be here. And I was, spoiler alert, I had a blast playing Masks, if you couldn't hear from my voice in that recording. And and you were the kind of the exception that proves the rule, because you have actually played Masks before, and I, somewhat extensively, I understand. Oh, Yeah. Yep. Um, Masks is by by and large the game that I played in 2017. Like I've played many, many games this year, but uh, Masks is just blows all the others out of the water. It's well, we can go into it right. in, so, further in. But. So, <laughs> you know, we, we generally with a trial, it's a game that either we haven't played or the majority of us have not played before. There have been other mm -hmm. exceptions as well, but that's kind of what we're aiming for. Uh, so I ask you, Caleb, had you ever played Masks before that game? Nope, I never had the opportunity. And then I had never played it before either. It's, as I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a Powered by the Apocalypse game, which I have not been the biggest fan of. I've, I've played Powered by the Apocalypse a couple different times, and it was okay, but a lot of people I know just rave about these games and how they're like, you know, just revolutionary and they, they'll change the way you play. And I've never had that experience. So I went into this one a little bit, you know, weary, uh, and I have to say, Taylor, much like you, I came out of that game just like my eyes have been opened truly to the way different role-playing games can be can be designed or can be implemented or executed. So, I mean, I've had some some like really involved mental conversations with myself about how I feel about other games now in comparison to that one. Uh, but it is not universal praise, as I understand um, Caleb wasn't, I won't speak for you, wasn't the biggest fan, at least in our pre-meeting stuff, you talked about how you had some, you know, criticisms or critiques of the, the game. Um, so I'll start with you. Uh, what was your overall impression of the game? And if there were things you didn't like, you don't have to hit all of them, but like, what was some of the things that maybe didn't work for you? So I will say that the game has an incredibly specific intent and it is made for an incredibly niche audience. And for those people, the game does exactly what they want, but for a broad appeal to someone who wants to experience a superhero game, this is 
probably not going to be something that hits what you crave. Uh, and I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. I, I completely agree with you there that while I really enjoyed the game, it, it provided a very specific type of game and experience. And it was one that I wanted and I was welcomed, but I even, I think I said afterwards, like, I don't think I would necessarily want to do a campaign of this, but I thought it was fantastic for a one shot of that type of game. Um, so I'm, I guess I'll play kind of the middleman a little bit. So I'll go to Taylor. You love masks. So what are your thoughts? I do com- compared to, I mean, do you agree with Caleb? Do you think it is a very specific type of game that really isn't good for other things? Um, I don't know that I disagree, but I really want to unpack what Caleb's expectations are for superhero games. So, um, just like fantasy is just like science fiction is superhero means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And one of the things that is really like the strength of Powered by the Apocalypse games is that they are genre emulators. Um, but if you are not aligned to that genre with the game's designer or the uh, the GM of your game or with the other players even, um, you're going to have mixed expectations and it's going to fall apart. And I think that that's where some things might be falling apart here in this situation. So um, I might actually throw a question to Caleb and say, what are you expecting when you think superhero game? Because for me, superheroes, I started reading superhero comics with Runaways, uh, which is, you know, uh, a bunch of youths who find out that the man, like literally the embodiment of the man, their parents are supervillains. And they have to not only come to terms with their own um, their own role in the superhero world as being the prodigy of those supervillains, but they also have to come to terms with themselves, with puberty, with, with like all sorts of these growing up metaphors. Um, and, and that's something that's really cool to me and that drew me into superheroes. So when I read comics, I read things like New Mutants. I read things like uh, Avengers Academy. I love Young Justice. Um, uh, all, all these sort of like coming to terms with yourself at the same time as coming to terms with your powers. So for me, masks is superheroes. Like there's no argument there, but I know that that's different for a lot of people. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Masks is in my perception of it, a game about being a teenager. And sometimes they have superpowers, which as we saw with Logan, it is absolutely possible and amazing to have a movie where being a superhero or having superhuman abilities is the background to the core story. But when you say, hey, let's play a superhero game, I want to play a game where I can be a superhero and do amazing feats and have big, bold, flashy adventures. And I can play into the escapism that comic books let me do. Uh, Masks is not a game that lets you do that. Masks is a game that embraces the humdrum, angsty horrors of reality and happens to let you do superhuman things when the game or the plot needs you to. And if that's the game you want to play, great. But that's not a game that I enjoy playing because I have enough angsty humanness in my life. I don't need that. I want to play a game where uh, I can be that big, bold, gold and silver age hero doing cool things. And if I want to dive into a more human story or do some role playing, I can choose to do it in the way that I need to and want to. I don't need the rules to force me to do that. Mm. And I think that that might be something that if we all want to take a drink here, as I say, the magic word (laughs) session zero would have been something that we could calibrate when we have a session like that. So when I'm when I'm running or when I'm playing campaigns of masks, I can sort of get that feel for my players. And I think one of the draws for me about Powered by the Apocalypse is that it's about the conversation first and then the rules come in. So if we were all used to, you know, gaming together, that we might have had time for sessions zero, take another drink, um, or or if we had kind of been used to um, what we're all expecting, I think that we might have had a different shot. So if I had known that that Caleb, you're looking for more over the top high action, um, that might have been something that that we could play towards um, because you're in the perfect spot for that. You played the transformed, 
Um, which, I mean, again, if you're looking to get away from the angst and the, um, the sort of brooding element might not have been the best choice. Um, because another thing about masks and another thing about PBTA games is that each playbook does something very specific. Um, the new version of Monster Hearts really calls this out that each playbook is about a, a specific um, sort of dysfunction. So there's um, playbooks about, uh, you know, how we relate to violence, how we react to um, like consent and control. Um, Masks does that with um, sort of that metaphor of growing up uh, or of like coming to terms. So the transformed is definitely about like, not feeling comfortable in your own body as well as not feeling comfortable in the entire world as a whole. Um, there's a really great piece on Medium about the playbook transformed um, as a sort of trans metaphor and how there's some uncomfortable feelings there. Um, Nora Blake is the woman who wrote that. It's a really great article. Um, but I, I think that if we had had the time to set up a, a session zero, that might have been a piece of advice that I had given you is to say, you know, you're looking for this over the top action. Why don't we look in a different direction than the transformed? There might be a better playbook for you. Well, I honestly chose the transform specifically because I wanted to see if the game would let me do what I wanted when it was so forcibly trying to not let me. So I don't know if that was a self-fulfilling prophecy or not. I, I feel like I skewed the experiment intentionally a little bit. So I'll own some of that. Uh, I'll own a lot of that. But I, I walked into this saying, okay, so I'm playing this, this specific type of person with this playbook. And I wanted to see if I could flex the muscles of the character outside of those boundaries. And I don't know if the game did not give me the opportunity or what, but I never had a chance to do anything other than kind of what the cookie cutter expected of me. So, so I'll jump in there for a second. And also, I just don't like Powered by the Apocalypse. I'm sorry. I just do not like Powered I by the Apocalypse. I think this might be... I have never had a good experience, and well, uh, it's I, not my favorite system. I would have agreed with you until this game. Uh, but I'll jump in there about about the, the personality, because I actually kind of did the same thing a, a little bit in that I did something the game really wasn't supposed to... I don't say supposed to, but isn't designed to do is like, you know, the, the game is set up where all teenagers are all young adults and all adults have power over us. And I specifically said, no, I'm going to be the rebel and I'm going to throw everything in Mantis's face and I'm going to do my own thing. And I think that really fit that character, but I kept doing it over and over and over again. I never, I, there one scene in particular where I basically just tell Mantis to go, you know, whatever I, I kind of blew him off. That's not really how the game is supposed to work, but the game let me do that uh, with a roll. I had to roll to, you know, be able to throw off that. But that is something that that can happen. I'm also being told I, that my audio is a little low, so let me adjust some things. Yeah, while you adjust, I would I would push back and say that that's exactly what the game wants you to do is push back against that adult influence. So um, one of the things that I've learned in terms of you know game design or looking at how we we quote unquote read games. So in terms of a literacy about uh, game mechanics and what games do, anytime that there's a mechanic for something, that there is a, a a rule based on how you you are supposed to do something, the game is telling you do this thing because there's a system in, in play about how to complicate the story, uh, reward pen punishment um, systems put in place. So challenging influence is something that is baked into the genre of masks as a way to reinforce that sort of butting heads of the, the new generation, which in the title, it tells you that's what you're gonna be doing. You are the new generation of superheroes. And it, it kind of wants you to butt up against the old generation. Okay. Well, again, I felt like I was kind of going against the the spirit in a way, but it worked very well. And I, and I also picked a character that fit my personality. I am that, you know, in almost every game we play, that's my personality where I kind of do my own thing and I make sarcastic jokes. And that's so it, it just was a good marriage of who I normally am in that character anyway. So I thought it worked well for me. Um, so I, 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 well, I will tell people I, yeah. I lowered Taylor and Caleb a little bit and I raised myself a little bit. So I, I may have overcorrected. <laughs> so please let me know if we're now the opposite or if we kind of worked out. Um, 
but I want to I want to blow some people's minds. Anybody who's been here for a while, because I again, I had sort of a, a, you know, a revolution of thought when it comes to role playing games because of this particular game. And I have said for years that like people ask me what D&D is. I say, well, it's a cooperative storytelling game. I no longer believe that's true. I believe that Masks is a cooperative storytelling game. But D&D isn't because of the way that they are structured. Uh, though Mask, again, it, it presents a very specific type of experience for me because you start with the narrative. I'm going to charge in and punch Rampage. Time out. Let's deal with all the mechanics. We've dealt with the mechanics. Now that we know how this is going to end, let's describe what it looks like. And everyone was helping each other out. And, you know, like we would throw out suggestions and, you know, kind of in, intrude and help each other. And I really felt like that was the first time I've really played a game where I truly like this was a cooperative storytelling game where D&D isn't. At least I don't think it is anymore because of this experience. So, Caleb, response. So I think that anything that carries the powered by the apocalypse system is the big trendy thing right now. It is the big, oh, this is how we tell stories. This is how we cooperate a narrative. If that's how you want to perceive it, great. If that helps you play a better game, tell a better story, enjoy your time at the table, some guy a long time ago said, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. That's so I stupid. can't, I mean, I'm <laughs> dumb, but I can't tell you that you're wrong. But I can do the exact same thing in any other game. We, when we were playing Rod Iron, while it was a very, in the loosest sense of the term, a D&D actual play, because we didn't really use the rules that much, I view that as 100% being a cooperative narration, even though we were playing D&D, quote unquote, because we, we really were creating the world and telling the story together. That's the core of um, cooperative narration, cooperative storytelling. That's what that means to me. I, I think Powered by the Apocalypse is a great way to learn how to do that, but it's not the only way to do that. I view anything in the Powered by the Apocalypse playbook, genre, whatever it wants to call itself, as uh, kind of a, a 201 type RPG. A 101 RPG is something great for brand new players who've never role played before. Uh, so something super simple, but very easy to grasp onto. So let's take Dread. Dread is a great 101 game. Because you don't have to do anything. You don't have to know any mechanics. You just have to narrate what you're doing. And sometimes you do a little gamey thing and react to it. Great. Anyone can learn how to do that. If you've never role-played before, super easy. Something like Powered by the Apocalypse adds in a whole lot of gamey mechanics, but it hides it all behind narration. And it encourages you to narrate first and then, like you just said, Michael, pause, figure out all these mechanics, and then continue. I think that's a great transition between I've never role-played to I really want to role-play. So I'll go on record. I'll take the heat for saying this. I feel like a lot of what happens in Powered by the Apocalypse is a crutch, although a lot of role-playing games are. But I, I feel it's leans really heavy into being a crutch for narration and role-playing. And sometimes that can go too far. All right, so I'll be jump in and then I'll let Taylor respond. So to clarify a little bit, I still like D&D the best. It's my favorite game. And I don't think Mask is a better game. It just has made me change. Like when I, when I describe D&D now, I don't, I wouldn't describe it as a cooperative storytelling game. It's still a cooperative game. And, and like Rod Iron, and even the way I run D&D, it's still a cooperative storytelling game. But I'm not really playing D&D the way it's intended. Just like you said, we really didn't play Rod Iron the way it was intended. So, Oh, yeah. D&D is not written to be that way. Right. But you can play it that way. Right, because and that's you don't the need rules. whole genius 
point of role playing games. Yes, but you can that's do that with any point. game. But, but I, you point. can do that with any role playing game. R- yeah, right. you can role play so Monopoly can, can, if you want to. Right. Yeah. But I think what and that's what, that's the point I was making that when anything in Powered by the Apocalypse, people view it as so revolutionary. It's not. It doesn't matter. You can do that stuff with any system. The well, fact that it's baked you? into this just makes it more prevalent. I do. Right. I, like, I do with just, everything. Why don't we play like Shadowrun in the D and D engine? Why don't we play, you know, Weird West in D twenty? Why don't we, you know, play the Quiet Year with a D ten system? Like the, systems do what they do because they have genre like predispositions. And the I think what is being missed in Powered by the Apocalypse games, yes, they are trendy. And yes, I think that they're like the it thing right now. And it's really easy to make a Powered by the Apocalypse game because it really is just genre emulation. You pick out like you pick out the tropes that you want to have in your game. You make those moves. You make playbooks that do different things and say uh, or examine different aspects of, of that trope. But you know when you're when you're playing it it's it's more than you narrate and then you stop and you figure out what the mechanics are and then you start narrating again it's a seem it ideally and this is where it kind of depends on who's playing it ideally it's the conversation leads into the mechanics in a seamless fashion so when you attack the orc the gm calls out and says it sounds like you're hacking and slashing please give me that role you you keep the story feral to use the language of monster hearts by rolling the dice. And then each move, if it's, if it's, you know, given to you or presented to you in the right way should present a prompt that will not only go into what happens next in the story, but help drive that. And so when you are, when you are playing powered by the apocalypse games, you are doing all of those things that you say that you're doing in Rod iron, you're sharing the world, you're creating the story, you're doing literal world building, but it's in a way that is couched in, um, the the baked in mechanics of the game that is so much different than if you're rolling like a d20 to say did I did I jump? Pregnant pause. I was typing, <laughs> so I lost something there. So <laughs> what what I will go back to what I was going to say in regards to what you guys said is that I do think Masks is the first Power by the Apocalypse game that I really enjoyed, and I felt the reason is because I feel like it was really well designed. Now again, I'm very ignorant. I've only looked at two so far dungeon world twice in this one so there's a billion of them out there i don't know about but i thought that the mechanics did reinforce the type of play it wanted which again is what we kind of ignore in D and i'm fine with that because that's how i play D. but i really feel like the rules made us do the things that the game wanted us to do where we you, we could use team to help each other out, but then we had to narrate how we helped each other out. We could not have team in the pool if we acted like we distrusted each other because of something that happened in the previous scene. And I thought all of those mechanics informed the role play a lot more than any other game that I have played, at least recently. Again, I'm not saying it's a better game. I just, that was the first time I really was like, oh, I see how the mechanics really do work towards, it's not just a theme. It's not just zombies or Western zombies or demons. It's, the mechanics make you feel and play a certain way to create an experience. If that's the experience you want, it does it better than a generic system would do. Yeah. And I think like terms like better or worse are really unhelpful in, in conversations like these, because we all have different expectations. We all find fun in different ways. And so when we're talking about a hierarchy of what is essentially an unobjectifiable thing, like you can't, you can't objectify art. You can't say this art is better than this other art. It's impossible. So when we're talking about different game systems, if we if we adhere to the idea that role playing games are art, which I do, um, you know, having a, a sort of saying of like this is better than this, I I think that that's you know sort of detrimental to when we're talking about how the game is played. All right, I agree, but you can say that a thing is better at doing a certain thing than another thing is, or is better at accomplishing or delivering. I think you can, uh, you can add that type of tag to it from an opinion standpoint. So one of the observations that I had, which kind of went back and forth for me was the way that this game especially had the spotlight was much more like a comic book or a cartoon where you know, one of us may have gotten to go, quote unquote, two or three turns in a row before someone else was brought in, or then we would kind of like almost like rewind 
and then see what was happening with the other people at the same time. And from a narrative standpoint and like a cinematic fight scene standpoint, I thought that was great. I I loved that. But I also noticed that there were times where some of us were not participating for a while. And I think there's a very delicate balance there where, yes, whoever's in the spotlight and from like, I guess, honestly, from like an audience standpoint, I think it probably made an enjoyable listen. But from a player standpoint, I could see this would get frustrating for a, could get frustrating for a while. So Taylor, as someone who loves the game, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that that's sort of a, a situation um, in literature. It's called Homer's nod. So it's it's um, if there's any continuity errors or if there's anything that doesn't make sense, even the great Homer, the writer of the Iliad and Odyssey, even gr the great Homer nods sometimes. So at that, I would kind of push back and say, you know, if you're finding yourself, you know, out of the spotlight or not doing, you know, what you want to do, um, sort of take a moment to assess what's going on in the game and say, how can we pop up in the game more or how can we get a little bit uh, of more of my interest in the story and um, yes I know people are shy yes it can be like intimidating to not want to interrupt people but at the same time we're all here at the table and you know your your friends and your players are going to be totally cool with you piping up and saying you know interjecting your story no one's going to be you know bummed out about you if you want to say hey here's this cool thing right I'm just trying to think about like, you know, if I wanted to try to do that in like a D&D &D game, for example, and unless we've split the party, it's going to be very difficult to keep things straight where if I'm on one character for like three turns and then I go back to the other character like, oh, well, that goblin's now dead because of what this person did or that that room is now shattered because of what this person did. And it's going to really change I don't. I don't know that it would work in a turn-based system. Obviously, Mask is not truly a turn-based system. Um, so we go to Caleb. What do you think about that spotlight mechanic? Was that a positive, negative, neutral for you? How do you feel about that in that game? I think that that is completely based on the context of the game and the willingness of players to accept that. I think in a situation where everyone is sitting around a table and everyone is very comfortable with each other, they're comfortable with the mechanics, and they're willing to embrace the uniqueness of the game, totally works. If you drop this into a con where you are trying to demonstrate this game to strangers, that is gonna potentially be very alienating and frustrating. I think that in a situation like us, when we are playing with the limitation of online gaming, and trying to record a performance for an audience. And we as recorders know the limitations of the systems we are forced to work with, that we can't always interrupt and overtalk each other and still produce good audio. We are going to force, force ourselves to step back and let that spotlight happen and then hope the game can catch up to us. Um, I think that it works when it works, and when it doesn't work, it's painfully obvious. I think that if, if this game had been run, not our game specifically, but if this game, if Masks was run for someone who was not willing to deal with that, it, it was going to leave them with a very bad taste in their mouth, and it's not going to be fun. Is that uh, but, Masks' fault, or is that their fault for not wanting to engage in you know, the Or is it the GM's involved? fault for not embracing them? Don't push yeah, that on exactly. the players. Yeah. yeah don't well, blame the player. I mean, the GM is just another player. Like, we're all okay. players. We're here. We're all at the When the GM is pushing the spotlight onto a certain character or, the, or a certain player is embracing the spotlight, it's the GM's responsibility to say, let's get everyone in the table involved. You can't push that solely on the players. That's a dangerous road to go down. Well, I, get, I think it's a little bit half and half. If you have someone who's not willing to step in, then the GM needs to spotlight them and in a happy world, it's going to be a little bit of, of everything. It reminds me, I, I played a game at a con last year. I've talked about it before. It was the first time I've ever played um, Knights, Black's, Knights Black Agents. And I don't know if that game is supposed to have an initiative mechanic, but if there is, the DM didn't use it or didn't know it. And it was very clear there were a couple of really vocal people at the table, and they just kept going. And, and uh, you know, I mentioned before, I had to literally at some point say, stop, this person hasn't talked in 15 minutes because they weren't go ever going to just jump in 
And I could see them getting visibly frustrated. And so again, that was like the perfect medium. The player wasn't willing to say, hey, look at me. And the GM wasn't willing to tell someone, hey, you need to be quiet or let's move the focus or, you know, however they want to transition. And it, it, it was very clear it was frustrating to a couple of the players. And that's that's my fear to like Caleb saying, if you have somebody who's like, not even like being a jerk, but just into it. They're just like so excited. They're like, oh, and then this and then this and then this and then this. And it's like, oh, we've been playing for 45 minutes and uh, you're the only one that's done anything so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so- I definitely fall into that trap where, like, I don't know if you could tell that I was super pumped about playing masks. So I talked a lot, but, you know, that's something that, that even, you know, I think this is more of what I'm trying to say is that if you're the loud player, it's your responsibility to know that you're the loud player and to ease back so that the quieter players can have that spotlight. But unfortunately, not everyone is self-aware of that, um, again, in a perfect world. Uh, mm-hmm. So a couple of the comments here, uh, Beef Griller talked about uh, run, running a PBTA game, and he realized after the fact that he was focusing on a couple of players too much, but he thinks with time, uh, probably as the DM, you would get better at it, and then just again, as the comfortability of the group getting used to each other probably would help. Uh, yeah, it's a skill, like you develop it the same way that you do anything else. And then Targris talks about how Dungeon World... Um, doesn't provide the D&D-ish experience that he wants. And that it's actually was kind of my experience as well. I went into Dungeon World thinking this is a way to play D&D, but it's more narrative rules. And it's not. And I think that's probably part of my issue too, is I thought it was going to do a thing differently, and it did a different thing. And that's that was my disconnect. That's really weird because I build Dungeon World as the game that D&D wants to be. So for oh. me, Dungeon World does D&D more than D&D does. But again, yeah. that's our expectations right. about, you know, what we want out of that story. Um, and I think that there's a difference if your only two PBTA games are Masks and Dungeon World. Um, there's a sort of evolution or a like lineage or a heritage of Powered by the Apocalypse games where you can see which game influenced the other. And so if you, if you start on one end, so... Um, uh, Brandon uh, Land Gambetta, Dr. Captain Cobalt, the uh, Stop Hack and Roll, uh, has a really great um, way of explaining like the generations of Powered by the Apocalypse, and I'll try to do it here. But um, Dungeon World is like first gen PBTA, where it's like Apocalypse World happened, and then Dungeon World was like one of the first on the scene. And so it's it's still trying to get used to what PBTA is and what works with it, and trying to peel back the the layers of the onion of that system. Whereas Masks is something that's super recent. It's been able to learn from Dungeon World, Monster Hearts, um, you know, everything that's come into the system, Headspace, um, everything from that and down the line. And you can see kind of the way that it's changed what's what's working at the core of what PBTA is. Um, and so my advice on that is to just play a bunch of them, pick what works, find what doesn't, um, and read the GM sections of each of these because the advice that the designers or the authors of the game give you is as important, if not more so, than the rules themselves. All right. So we'll move back to Caleb. Was there anything else about the mechanics of the game that uh, either you did like or you didn't like or you have questions about, something you want to bring up a topic? And while you're thinking about what you're going to say, I want to ask the audience, um, anybody who has actually listened to our actual play, just kind of chime in. I kind of want to get an idea of who's actually listened because we might have some specific things uh, based off of if you've listened or not. So, so Caleb, anything else about the mechanics that just was a touchstone for you in this game? Are we talking specifically in masks or powered by the apocalypse in general? Uh, masks in, in our specific game. Mm. So I like the concept of team, that team pool, and how it pushes some narrative choices. But it felt like it was a big slowdown in the game. And obviously, this was the first time we played it. So we had to learn how it worked. But it felt like it was a huge uh, pump breaks moment. Um, going on what you said earlier, narrate, stop mechanics, narrate again, which to Taylor's point is not how the game is supposed to work. Um, and we were in a learning situation, so I, I get absolutely, it. Absolutely, you know, absolutely. We were going very even slower than we probably needed to go in some cases. Yeah, I, I, I just 
blow everyone's minds and say that I agree with Caleb on that. So team is one of the things that sticks with me about masks in that um, I think it's it's an attempt to have an aid mechanic, which I don't know that the game needs. Um, and help, uh, help and interfere moves are always really weird, um, no matter what system that you play in. So um, I think that there's an intent to say you've rolled what you rolled, but there is here's this mechanic to help wiggle with that, that incorporates teamwork. But I don't know that there's a really elegant or simple way of doing that without kind of taking a step back. Because when you're narrating sort of like one-on-one, -on -one, your action does this, your character does this. If, if your character can't do what they want, but we have to pass it to the table for someone to volunteer for that, that's going to automatically cause a slowdown or a stop. Well, I think it's interesting because uh, for a couple reasons. One, I think it exists because it is trying to really emulate that genre. And anything that is done in Powered by the Apocalypse, you said it earlier, Taylor, is a genre emulator. And I will give the mechanics props for the being so good at doing genres like that. Being able to play a movie character, a TV character, a comic book character, without the constraints of a level design that is really a huge maybe the only in my mind positive aspect of a powered by the apocalypse game so when we're looking at that type of angsty teen comic book if we're looking at young justice there are so many moments where there is a spotlight on robin or kid flash or artemis but another character has a huge part in that scene. Miss Martian or Lagoon Boy or Superboy is doing something to help Robin or Artemis succeed in their task. That's Maneuver a- Maneuver seven is like the perfect always, example. Yeah. It's always Maneuver seven. Yeah. So that is a huge part of the genre. And I think the team concept is that spot on trying to duplicate that genre moment or that genre element. But interestingly, it's also, uh, to coin a term from my work, it's a pain point in all game mechanics when the mechanics rear their head and take away from the narration momentum. Mm -hmm. Almost every single role-playing game, almost every single one, has that moment where we're trying to get so entrenched or embrace the narration, uh, embrace the story, become fully immersed in this imaginary world we're creating, but then mechanics show up and mechanics happen. And it's really, really challenging to have a game where we have a balance between the two or where mechanics does not become so intrusive. And in most powered by the apocalypse systems, I think it's very easy to stay away from those mechanics and the mechanics very seamlessly flow into immersion, but sometimes they stand out and that's what team is. So I, I'm conflicted about team because I, I, it's like the thing is like, I think it's a great idea. I'm not sure the execution works. Because I like how, again, it tries to push you to this teamwork. It's called team for a reason, not, you know, assist pool or whatever. Uh, but in our particular game, I don't think we failed a role unless we chose to. Because we always had the option of using team and we always were able to basically get someone at least to the next level. Um, which, Caleb which, did fail a role. Uh, well, I, there was one point where he could have... At, at he, a five. He, we could have gotten seven. Well, there was one he also got like a nine and could have got a ten, and he's like, "No, I, I don't, I don't want to do, I don't want to get to a 10. Um, But it just seemed I like we we were always able to succeed if we wanted to, which I mean, I guess that kind of mirrors the superhero genre. But it also felt like we were never really in danger because we were going to get there. And then it felt like the cost wasn't that high. I mean, it, sometimes it made sense. Like I think of my joke where. Taylor, your character was going to shoot the arrow and you missed. And I just said that basically as I ran by, I just, I moved your elbow. So you mm -hmm. hit, well, that didn't cost anything. Like, the, the, you know, it was such a, it was a funny moment, but it had no weight to it. And if you can change the outcome that drastically without any real narrative consequence, I kind of felt like it's a cheap joke. Like it was a joke 
it was cheap and i think it would get old really fast i will say that we did roll really well in this game um so i've i've had masks games where i have not succeeded once in a four-hour session <laughs> um and at that moment you're like begging for team you're like please just someone um and you're five conditions deep and <laughs> you know yeah, I, yeah. I, I I failed a couple rolls straight, but then I we either got to team or something happened. I don't think I ever had to mark a condition. I never had anyone influence my labels. Like I basically was, you know, invulnerable, which I guess I'm the bull. I'm supposed to be tough. Uh, but yeah, like I, I I literally felt like I was like Superman in that game. I just I did whatever I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it. And it was fun for a one shot, but I don't think I would enjoy that long term. But that's where we can like tailor the story. But yeah, correct, tailored. <laughs> um, yeah. So, all right, back to you, Caleb. Anything else about the mechanics uh, that you want to call out? I will say a couple people have mentioned they did listen to it, uh, thought it was really good. I know at least one person said they think it's our best trial ever from an entertainment standpoint. Uh, so uh, it seems to be popular from those that have listened. Uh, but I again, well, clearly those people have not listened to our Wushu trial. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe but the, the problem is that audio on that one's not good like the, there's some really rough audio on that one which really upsets me um <laughs> yeah i guess it's, it's worth it though but anyway so any other uh comments on mechanics i i do want to say uh, i don't as know. a fan of masks i was really pumped with the fact that i got to rack up five conditions and then clear all five in one session like that was not something that I was set about to do until I hit about the third or the fourth one. And then I said, wait, what a minute. I, c I might be able to do this. Um, but that's because I was playing the beacon. And so the beacon is kind of wrapped around the person who brings it. They're the glue that keeps the team together. They are like um, the um, Wally uh, in in Young Justice, who's who's there as the team's personality. And they, they revolve around the move comfort and support and you know, making sure that everyone on the team is healthy. And in doing that, they themselves help help themselves stay healthy. And so that's like the metaphor of the beacon uh, is that helping others is a form of self-care, I think. Um, and that's that move, you can clear conditions. So I started playing around with that and sort of being aware of how the mechanics interplayed with different things. Um, seeing that, I think that's the most crunchy that I've ever been with a PBTA game. I loved it. I was having a blast that whole time. So, see, I'm conflicted about that as well, um, because it sort of felt like that was the one player who has a secret mission, because you were making mm. some decisions based off of you trying to accomplish something specific to your character, which could be interesting in a story, but it also felt like, oh, you're playing a different game than the rest of us. Your win condition is different than the rest Guilty, of us. Yeah. And, and in that case, I thought it worked out, but I could see that going poorly especially if like you allowed someone to fail terribly or lose uh, you know an important npc or a signature item or whatever some emotional mm -hmm. beat where you're like i'm not going to help because i need this to happen for me mm -hmm. and, uh, and it just it seems like a weird mechanic for the beacon it seems like a very selfish thing for the beacon so i don't know it felt kind of incongruous to me so well, about if, that? You think, if you think about it in terms of young justice wally is a very selfish character at the start of the series and then he grows up and evolves so having that be a core of that character archetype makes sense with the assumption that hopefully they mature at some point during the game mm -hmm. um it wasn't i really can't make up my mind about the whole conditions thing I, i'm not sold on it I, I didn't really dislike it but i didn't enjoy it maybe that was because it just didn't connect with what i wanted out of some type of consequence track mm. but I, I did clearly walk into this game with extremely different perceptions and expectations um i i always want to try when i'm in a trial to push my character to the limits and hopefully beyond them and i don't feel like i got that opportunity with my character so I, I don't feel like I really got to see what it was like when a character has consequences and is in a dangerous situation. Uh, like you said, Michael, I really did feel like we were just skating through this adventure. And a lot of times in comic books that happens. And, and you, you have an adventure where everyone wins and great. And, but 
it was also a one shot. We had three and a half hours. If we failed yeah. too much, we couldn't have got through it. So that, that might've been yeah. part of the also decision true. as well. Um, but it, it did, you know, it's one of the things like in the moment, I didn't really think about it, but after I kind of reflected on it a little bit, I was like, well, you know, we did kind of just kind of zoom through that a little bit. Um, I was a fan of the conditions, yeah. but only for that particular type of game, because for me, the breaking point of any superhero game is a speedster. I, I've yet to find a game that truly does a speedster right, because if you have a mechanic that lets me run faster than the speed of light, I can solve every problem. I don't need anybody else. Like, like there, there's no reason why Flash needs Batman or Martian Manhunter or anything. He can do everything he needs to do all by himself. So how do you make that fun for that character but fair to the other characters? And and Mask bypass that, bypasses that completely because you just say what you're going to do and it happens. And then the consequences are those labels. So you don't have to worry about dodging bullets or running into walls or silly stuff. But it doesn't feel at all like any other type of superhero game. If I want to play Marvel Knights and I want to be Moon Knight or Ghost Rider or Daredevil, that ain't going to work for me. And as as much as I try, I, I'm still not sold on the um the the core of how Powered by the Apocalypse works with the two d six and the range of successes. I I like it in principle. I really like it in principle because it it's saying it's showing you that it's allowing actions to succeed at a cost, or it's it's pushing story moments into what you're trying to do. I love that in principle, but in practice, I've never had good experiences with it. Can I geek out about that actually as like a, a weird, like one mechanic thing? Sure. So Rob Donahue has a really great article on the 2D6 and the sliding like scale that like six minus seven to nine, 10 plus. Um, and the like the cool thing about why that works is that you can adjust that that sort of sliding scale. You have three options, so it's either a six minus, a seven to nine, or a ten plus. But in practice, when you are writing games or coming up with moves, you have a sliding scale of five different options. You have haha, you're effed. You have this is bad. You have this is this could be worse you have this is good and you have exceeding your expectations so where you put those three really is a way for you to send a message about what your genre views what you're trying to do and then also what you want your game to do so if you have a violence move like directly engage a threat or hack and slash um if you have your three mechanics six minus is haha you're effed uh seven to nine is this is bad and ten plus is this is okay that sends a lot different message than six minus, this is okay, seven to nine is good, and then 10 plus is exceeding your expectations. And I think that um, when you look at a bell curve of a 2D6, I'm terrible at math, so I'm just gonna throw that out there now. You're most often going to get that seven. six minus. You're, yeah, you're most often gonna get seven. Um, you're you know really likely to get six and minus because there's so many options there. That's like, if you look at the mean, that's half of your rolls. But once you start looking at people who have bonuses to stats uh, and different things, the things that the moves that your playbook is going to be centered around, you're most likely going to hit that seven and nine. But if you're not, you're most likely going to hit that six minus. And so it's a way of you know calibrating what you want your character to be good at in a system or a mechanic that I think is like really more elegantly than like putting points and skill ranks because it can play with the messages that the game is sending. So when you look at your playbook and saying, I want to play the playbook that examines how we use violence at the table, but this game has a violence move that has a really unfortunate, uh, you know, three point spread on that, that sliding scale. What does that mean for the way that I play the game? What does that mean for the way that I'm going to interact with the world and the characters? Um, and, and having, you know, time to, to look at that outside of a one shot. So in between sessions in a session zero, take a drink, um, is is something that I found really really fun in playing masks and other PBTA games. I think two D six sucks. I you just like D twelves. <laughs> I, I, I do, but I mean, I, I'll be perfectly honest. I have no tactile satisfaction at rolling two D sixes. It it does not. Even when if I got twelve, I'm like, oh, I got twelve. 
where if I roll a d20, I get a 20. I'm like, oh, like I, for whatever reason. I mean, I, I, fair or not, there's nothing about rolling 2d6s that's satisfying, even if I succeed. Great. It's just, it's not fun for me. So yeah, 2d12s is more fun, but it's still not great. And I don't think D20 is the best option. I think D20 games are swingy. I, I actually prefer 3D6. But I don't know. But there's every time I roll 2D6, it's always like, okay. Like, I don't know. It's it just I don't like 2D6 games. Michael, give me the combination of dice that you love rolling, and I'll write a PBTA game for you. 3D12s. <laughs> and I'm already working on that game. It's, it's called uh, Action 12 Cinema, the D12 system. Coming soon to a theater near you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, all right. So uh, I guess we'll take a moment here. We got some people in chat. They're going back and forth. Uh, does anyone have any questions either about our game specifically, if you've listened? And it doesn't have to be about mechanics. It could just be like, why did you do this? Or was there an edit point there? Or blah, blah, blah. Um, or just anything about masks in general? Because we have an expert with us, Taylor. And then uh, Caleb and I can give our unfounded, ignorant opinions. Because that's what <laughs> we often do. da 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 da, da. All right. So while we're waiting for the chat to catch up, uh, Caleb, where can people find your work on the internet? I mean, I don't have any work on the internet. I exist on the internet. You're a content talk creator. On the Everything internet. that you do is work. You are a content creator, sir. Uh, I need new content then. My content's terrible. <laughs> I am on Twitter at the Caleb G. And I talk about things that have no bearing on anything else. It's very boring. <laughs> All right. Don't go there. You won't be happy. <laughs> Taylor, where can people find your work on the internet? People can find everything that I do at riverhousegames.com, where they can find links to all the podcasts that I do and all the games that I write. Um, they can find me on Twitter at Leviathan Files. Excellent. And for myself, if anyone doesn't know, I can be found at the RPG Academy on Twitter, on Facebook, on the interwebs, on Instagram, even though I don't post there anymore. I think we have a Tumblr that I've never updated. So if you just search a YouTube page, if you search the <laughs> RPG Academy, you're probably going to find us. Uh, so we have a question. Uh, Beef Griller asks, when we were playing masks, did we feel super? Caleb. No. Taylor. But oh, but as we've clearly outlined, I have a very def different expectation of what it means to be a superhero. All right, than, than what this delivered. Taylor, I played no one. I played someone with no powers, and I felt more super than I've ever felt in my my gaming career. No, that's that's true. I I play other masks games. I felt really really super. <laughs> I did as well, which again, part of that was I rolled well, and part of it was just the way the way the dice worked for me, I guess. But I, the, again, the way that you would narrate, like I'm going to go punch him, I would roll and roll well, and then I get to you know pick three things, and then I get to narrate what that looks like. So when I was able to narrate, like taking a blow and just not really caring, and then you know, like I don't know, just all the things that I could just narrate it, it looked however I wanted it to. I always felt like I looked cool, and I was tough because I that's what the Toro Bull does. So yes, I, I did absolutely feel super, but to kind of match Caleb's point, if I was trying to play Daredevil, I don't think I would feel like Daredevil. Hmm. So before we go, I do want to say my favorite part of the entire like masks game was Michael, you were playing the bull, and as the bull playbook, you get like a unique mechanic of a love and a rival. So you get to pick before the game starts someone with whom you have a very close connection and then someone who you butt heads with. And you you picked um, you picked uh, Hornet, who is um, is it Dustin Dakota Dakota? I knew it started with the D. Uh, you picked Dakota's character as as your love, and you picked my character as your rival. And any time that you would like narrate what was happening, you always narrated us together, <laughs> and your character being conflicted about that happening. Yes, and I love I love that touch. That was something as I was listening, like. Yes, this, yeah, I, this is good. I, I thought that worked out really well. Though I actually, th this is a, I don't know, maybe just I'm a Michael moment. Uh, at the end of episode one, my character has the joke about that, you know, was the communicator on? Uh, mm. And I made the joke. I thought I made that joke again in the last episode when I talked about how I'd never been more attracted to Hornet when she was just beating the shit out of uh, Rampage. 
And then when I was listening back, it's not in there. So I don't know if I cut that or if maybe my mic didn't pick it up or it's like I was coughing. So I hit mute, but I thought for sure I made that joke again as a callback and it wasn't there. I was like, that's so weird. Do you I can guys remember me? that you made it? I okay, can, yeah. Like, I promise you. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I thought for sure I made that joke because I was like, I've never found her more attractive. And they're like, oh shit, is this thing on? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it's not in the episodes. So I don't know, crazy. Huh. Uh, uh, so Beef Griller also wants to ask, how does this compare to other superhero RPGs? So, Caleb, you know, Mask didn't deliver the, RP- the superhero RPG experience you wanted. What games have you played that, that have? Man. I don't think I've I've found a superhero RPG that satisfies what I'm looking for in a role-playing game superhero system. Um, I did, at a Catacon this year, John Neary ran a game of... I don't remember what it was called. It might have just been called Supers, and that was real close. Um, I mean, I have the best superhero experience when I just play Wushu. But we slap superheroes on it. Yeah. So my, uh, my Wolverine is a know. five. I don't have a good answer. I'm gonna Wolverine here <laughs> at a five. <Yeah>. Yes. It's <laughs> great. You can talk for five minutes and do whatever you want, and we have a great time. Done. Yes, That's exactly what I want out of a superhero game. <laughs> uh and, and a slight digression before I get to Taylor. I was listening to another podcast. Um don't split the podcast. Or no, it's split the party podcast, because there's a don't split the party network. Um, and it's by a couple people who've come to a catacon all three years and each year they do a recap episode. And, uh, one of the hosts said that your Wushu game was by far their favorite game. The player pick, the one you did on Sunday. Um, Oh yeah, absolutely. said she loved it, thought you were brilliant. Uh, and that was her best experience. So good job. Oh, all right. So Taylor, any other superhero games you've played that? deliver on that superhero experience uh i have played mon uh not monsters mutants and masterminds that's the one um long long time ago back when i only played dungeons and dragons in world of the darkness i gave mutants and masterminds a shot and was not a fan of the point by system um so it's it's that and masks all right so i i mean i've said before superheroes was my second RPG. It's probably my second favorite genre, though I never get to play it. I've played quite a few. Uh, I played GURPS back back a long time ago with Superhero. I played the Marvel Superhero, the TSR face rip version. Uh, I played the Cortex version of the new Marvel Heroic, but only played it one time, and it was a kind of weird situation. It didn't go very well. I played Mutants and Masterminds. I played the DC Superhero game, and I think I've played, I played Mutants and Masterminds, if I didn't already mention that one. And then actually Targus beat me to it. My favorite superhero game from a superhero game standpoint is Cold Steel Wardens. Uh, it's the game that Andy Klosky, who's a local here in Dayton, kind of a friend now of the show, designed. And it is it is exactly that Moon Knight, Daredevil, street level experience that I want. And it does the best version of Speedster yet that I've experienced. And all it does is in that game, you get to do two things. And I love the way he describes it. He's like, you get to do two things. Are you going to do a thing? Is it a thing? You can do two of them. So if you want to like jump over a car and punch somebody, that's two things. If you want to pull out a gun and shoot somebody, that's two things. If you're a speedster, you get to do four things. There you go. You just get to do two more things than anyone else because you're a speedster. It's like, okay, that works. I mean, it represents in my mind that I'm faster than everyone else. It doesn't mean I can run through time like Flash, but when we're in a combat situation, it makes me feel like I'm faster than everybody. Um, and there you go. Um, so, oh, people are talking to each other, not to us. All right, so uh, one last time, we'll throw it out there. Uh, any other questions people want to ask before we wrap things up? Um, Caleb, any closing words about this or just anything you want to talk about while you got a couple minutes? So as much as I didn't like masks, I do think it is the game that does, it's the best at doing what it does. And it created its, it's own the best genre. At, well, I'm the best at what I do. Oh, it's, it's, it's the best at being itself. Yeah, okay. Let's, it's the best at being itself. And if you want a game where you can be 
angsty and deal with dramatic interpersonal situations, but you also have superhero powers, then go for it. It's not my game. I'm not going to pick it up and knock off the shelf on a Friday night. I'm not going to have that craving to play masks. But if it's the game you want to play, it is the best at doing that. So it, it's, it's great for doing what it does. It's just not for me. Fair enough. All right, Taylor, any last words about anything for you? Uh, I want to say thank you so much for letting me, like, giving me this opportunity. I saw the posting for, like, figuring out who was going to be in this one, and I knew that there was no way that I could pass it up. So <laughs> thank you for letting someone who is, like, who this is, like, the game that I play jump on a Trials episode. Um, it was a phenomenal experience getting to play my favorite RPG with the guy who wrote it. Um, it, it was, yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> the RPG Academy, making people's dreams come true for six yeah. years now. Uh, I really liked Masks. I thought it was a, a great game. I thought Brendan did an amazing job running it from an entertainment standpoint. I do think it's a very entertaining actual play. From a person in the game the whole time, I could see there's a few places where it hicked up. And I, you know, I would have done things differently or, or wish they would have gone a little bit differently, get more people involved all the time. But I think it felt like a comic book or it felt like an episode of a cartoon which is what we were going for. So I thought that was fine. Um, I want to play it again. Absolutely. Again, I don't think this is a campaign. I, I don't think we're going to start an, a mask actual play for the show, but I want to try this out again. I want to try running it. I want to try playing it again at another convention. It's, it's definitely the next couple of conventions that I go to, it will be high on my list of games that I want to play again. And hopefully I'll be able to get into one. Uh, One really cool thing about about running it is when you read the GM section, um, probably the apocalypse moves uh, don't do like pass fail in the the way that like traditional games do. Um, instead, when you roll a six minus, the GM makes a hard move against you from like a certain list that gives them directions to complicate the story. Um, it has specific hard moves for each of the playbooks. So when you are reading through the advice section, it it um it it guides you to sort of like um make a individualized complication for each of the different playbooks so for the delinquent who is all about fucking authority um and saying no to the man one of the hard moves is put them in chains which is what they are built around fighting right um so the the gm advice section for masks is incredible excellent uh so just because i have this uh, opportunity just People are listening. I just want to take a quick second and thank anyone who listens to our show regularly. Thank you for listening. I recently split off our podcast into different feeds. So if you don't care about trials, you don't have to listen to them. If you're listening to this, then you probably do. Uh, but the way the, the main one works is I can't separate them out. So like the main one still gets everything. It's not by like design. I just, there's no way to stop it. So if you subscribe to our main feed, you still will get every single episode. If you just want to listen to faculty meetings, you can. If you just want to listen to detentions, you can. Consider maybe writing a review, even if you already have for the main one, if you just listen to one specifically, because that would help. Um, and then I want to thank our patrons. Obviously, that has been a big hubbubaloo for the last couple of weeks where they were going to change their fees and it, it was presented poorly. And they have, you know, long story short, they have retracted. They're now not going to do that. A lot of people lost a lot of money from Patreon. A lot of people lost backers. We lost nobody. We did not have one person drop a pledge. We didn't have one person lower a pledge because of this. So while we don't have the biggest community on Patreon, clearly we have some passionate people who like what we do and they were willing to support us. And that means the absolute world to us. Uh, so thank you very much from the absolute bottom of my heart. Uh, upcoming, we have a trial of Firefly that's already been recorded. I'm halfway through editing. It's going to be two, maybe three episodes. I'm kind of trying to find a weird cut point, but that will probably be out in January, probably at this point. Uh I looking for the next trial. We were supposed to do Tales from the Loop. That fell through because we were dealing with a person in Sweden who was going to run it and just kept getting hanky with time zones. Uh, we're supposed to do a Star Trek Adventures. Uh, Calum, uh, there's a French-based game that he wants to do. But we're always on the lookout for people who want to do trials, particularly if it's a game that is being kickstarted or the designer wants to run it. Those are kind of the two big key things. And I think that's it for me. So uh, for everyone here now, thank you for listening. Caleb, Taylor, as always, thank you for joining me. Thank you for being a part of what we do here. Taylor and the network, Caleb with the show in general. 
Um, and I think that's it. So we'll do our awkward wave out. Everyone say bye as I try to find that uh, button. Don't make any comments. No jokes. No jokes about that. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.